to Kyluk and Willen Egni Aidi Fwiltikus and Aon, Fashiak Fek and Donalurum Rovinik, Tagaur Gahamfrustruck Egbon the Binna, Willen Clog and Champel Gabauer, Etchlin Kroho Glea Imachwinna, Fashiawad Haramagumbugger. Hees in Sanmalia, Tadini Ekfek and Fierce Gavluk, Tashi de Kroma Achyan, Is Ni Lauren Shilomahilla, Irene Kam Fjotin Guiha, Den Grim Naman, Lanan Turlevat, Boshtie, Is Klicksnak de Trum, Dunum Duras Mohi Gutchown in a Gwinna. Do shim go hobbin ni esteni sanie, temple do er margin, nor ta alver sucken lay, ek shilla harem. Usklin duris and shomer lappe, uifain. Is ta gaur ek chak de stock and shomer kugum, an no made sho. Is ta ga huler, a ta komor le plati, ni ha, akle ruhar karte. Ni ha, aklashki han vilin guiha. The old woman at the mill scrubs bloody clothes in the river, glancing in my direction a little too often. A dog barks and barks at the end of the house. The church bells are muffled. A hooded crow flies in my face. It's high time I got out of here. Down in the village, the people eye me furtively. They lower their heads and avoid me like the plague. A whirlwind raises the hair on the necks of the hills. Rain thuds in the earth and a snowstorm begins. I slam the door of my house on the lot of them. And start, awake in the night, surrounded by sulfurous light, while the ceiling grows slowly bright in the dripping dawn. The bedroom door swings open of its own accord and a hound bounds into the room at me this very minute. His two eyes the size of plates, no bigger of cartwheels, no bigger of whirling windmills. Hello and welcome to Words That Burn, the podcast taking a closer look at poetry. This week's poem is Shkevla by Nulani Ronal. This poem sees a surreal folkloric landscape run amok and is typical of the poetry of Irish language poet Nuala Nironal. Her work often invokes a more ancient Ireland, not only in terms of imagery and vision, but by sheer merit of the language that she uses. Nironal writes exclusively Osquelga, or in Irish. As such, her work is perhaps less known than other major poets in the Irish canon but no less important. Thankfully, through translations like this one by the late poet Derek Mahan, audiences are granted a glimpse inside the work of one of Ireland's greatest living poets. Nigonal is a stout advocate for the Irish language, which might seem a little strange given her early days arriving in Ireland from England. Born to Irish parents in Lancashire, England, she moved to Kerry at the age of five becoming immediately immersed in the Gwelta culture of the area, that is to say, a community which speaks solely in Irish. 
This must have been a true culture shock as a child and surely became a formative experience for her later work. Nironel has been quite open about how she felt an outsider due to her time in England. Coupled with her years attending a strict Catholic boarding school, it is no wonder she sought any kind of refuge. Luckily, she found one in the Irish language. When she was asked about the solace it brought her, she wrote, Already by twelve, I was a loner, well on my way to becoming a full-fledged recluse, and the forced proximity of a hundred other girls, not to mention forty nuns, was more than my nerves could stand. Deep down in me, though, there was a pool of pure vitriol, a seething anger that nothing could touch. I tried to dispel it by keeping a diary, but given the total lack of privacy in this time, it was a chancy business. Girls had been expelled in dire ignominy for less, sometimes just for things they wrote in letters. I countered by keeping a diary in code and in Irish. Her thoughts make it clear that early on the Irish language became synonymous with secrecy and the hidden for her. From there it was a hop, skip and jump to the obscure yet boundless world of Irish folklore. The purest forms, or should I say the least altered forms of these old Irish tales are often only accessible to those who speak Gaelic as centuries of Christianization, Anglicization and misreport have rendered them shadows of their former selves. The resulting form texts have often been found to be lacking the bite they once had, so to speak. This is never the case in Nuala Nigonal's vivid and delirious reimaginings. Her work has constantly explored modern issues plaguing Irish society, and indeed those on a global scale as well. All of this done through the lens of folklore. When asked to elaborate on why folklore had been so key to her work, she simply explained, I always have to draw some kind of veil between me and the reader. Sometimes folklore achieves that for me, or mythology. There are many ways of doing it. The veil she draws here is quite a severe one. The alien and hostile landscape of Irish folklore immediately puts the reader on edge. It is littered with symbolism, some connected to Ireland and other to broader folkloric traditions. The first stanza is laced with ill omens and portents of death, the most prominent being the Banshee. However, there are numerous others as well. The old woman at the mill scrubs bloody clothes in the river, glancing in my direction a little too often. A dog barks and barks at the end of the house. The church bells are muffled. A hooded crow flies in my face. It's high time I got out of here. To Kyluk and Willen, Egni Edi Fwiltuke, Sanown. Tashiak Fek and Anlurum, Rovinik. Ta Gaur Gohamfrastruck, Egbun the Binna. Willen Klug and Champel Gabauer. Etchlin Krohog Lea in Machwinna. Tashiawad Haramagumbuga. That line, scrubs bloody clothes in the river, leaves us in little doubt to the supernatural nature of the old woman in question. The washing of murderous garments is a traditional symbol of the Banshee. Though curiously, 
there seems to be a conflation of the Irish Banshee and the Scottish Banee here, as only the Scottish version washes the bloody garments of those lost in battle. Perhaps it is simply a broader Gaelic spirit being invoked by Nigonal. The speaker of the poem seems to feel an instant sense of dread, one which we in turn become infected by. There is a real sense of paranoia, hence the title of the poem, in the wording of glancing in my direction a little too often. The speaker then goes on to paint an even more ominous scene for us. The menace of a dog that barks and barks is an act of foreshadowing that will become important by the third stanza. Once again, the mention of the dog has hints of folklore hanging about it. The world is filled with tales of black dogs, malicious hounds that rove the British Isles, sometimes foretelling death and other times causing it. Once again, this myth is not common to Ireland, but more so to the north of England. Given Nigonal's early years in that place, it's clear she is borrowing from her own experiences as opposed to any kind of Irish one. Nonetheless, a second omen of death has been established within the stanza and they just keep coming. The muffled church bells serve as a jewel symbol here, one as a faint reminder of the Catholic Church, something that Nigonal, as the earlier excerpt attests, has no great grow for. Once again, a more ancient British custom is invoked by the muffling of them. The action of doing so was called the soul bell, or more commonly today, the death knell. Yet again, it signifies impending death, or an actual death, depending on the amount of rings. Either way, it is right at home in the litany of omens. Finally, there is the hooded crow. The hooded crow in Irish mythology is heavily associated with the goddess Bab, who specifically took that form when roving the world. She is one aspect of three that makes up the Morrigan, the Irish goddess of death. Her presence here is fitting for raising the tension as she was famed for sowing confusion amongst the ranks of those who stood against her chosen army. It is no wonder then that our speaker realises it's high time I got out of here. It's worth noting that most of the folkloric traditions and omens mentioned previously were for the death of someone of note or importance. We can assume then that the speaker of this poem is exactly that. That is a common trick for Nigonal, who famously creates personas in her works to explore the oppression of women and the silencing of them in society. As academic Carrier Shaw puts it, Nigonal's use of what she has called the invented character, most often traditional figures from Irish folklore, such as the Ban and Lassa, is a disassociative act that expresses the terror, dislocation, and fragmentation resulting from linguistic alienation, psychological trauma, and exile from the symbolic order. And so the speaker comes to embody something far more significant than just a vehicle through which to speak. That significance is made much clearer in the second stanza. Down in the village, the people eye me furtively. They lower their heads and avoid me like the plague. A whirlwind raises the hair on the neck of the hills. Rain thuds the earth and a snowstorm begins. I slam the door of my house on the lot of them. Here's in Somalia, 
Tadini ag feakin fierce gavlock. As she did crumma a gown, is ni lauren she lum a hilla. Irene cam fjotin guihe de grim na man, lanin turvalt bostie, is clicksnock de thrum. Dunum durus mohig a chown in a quinna. That mounting tension from the first stanza continues to build. This time, as opposed to omens, pathetic fallacy assists the task. The weather has always been used as a tool to reflect the emotional states of a character to an audience. The earliest roots of this technique, suitably, being from folklore. There are beautiful moments of Hiberno-English in Derek Mahan's translation, with vernacular phrases like avoid me like the plague and slamming the door on the lot of them peppered throughout the poem. These small turns of phrase are commonly used in Irish English, and whilst not originating from the island, can be heard in the day-to-day speech of people frequently. These uses of common Irish help to ground the poem in Irish culture and create a fantastic link between the English translation and the original Gaelge. The Irish language has always been much more informal, preferring instead to focus on meaning as opposed to structure. It prefers to take what can only be described as a more philosophical approach to life. This echoes Nigonal's own comments on what makes Irish such an enjoyable language. She once stated, There's a major register problem translating from Irish to English. Galleon, a poem of Nigonal's own work, is pristine in Irish, but old hat in English. And what is pristine in English may sound all wrong in Irish. Irish just isn't prudish. The language is very open and non-judgmental about the body and its orifices. Nor has Irish a prejudice against the other world. When I knock on my aunt's door, she'll say, On the vioa, no de mar of who. Are you of the living or of the dead? And it's partly a joke, but it puts you thinking at the same time. Thankfully, though, a delicate and respectful translation that lacks prejudice against the other world isn't lost in man's. The weather in this stanza is typically Irish in its misery and seems intent on crushing our speaker. This, combined with the oppressive displeasure of the village, seems all too much for our speaker, who retreats to the supposed safety of their home and turns her back on all of it. There are so many ways to interpret the myriad furtive stares that the speaker lists. What we can establish is that Nigonal was an outsider early on, and if the societal structure of Ireland in the 50s held true for her, she was suddenly dropped into a very Catholic and heavily scrutinised society. The Catholic Church's hold was unshakable at the time, and the sense of being watched and observed for the purposes of public decency would have been omnipresent. We are left at the end of stanza two with the sense that our speaker has avoided the gaze of those who do not mean her well, only to have that illusion shattered abruptly in the third stanza. And start awake in the night in the sulphurous light while the ceiling glows slowly bright in the dripping dawn. The bedroom door swings open of its own accord and a hound bounds into the room at me this very minute. His two eyes the size of plates, no, bigger, of cartwheels, no, bigger 
of whirling windmills. Dushim gahoban niestaini sanihe, chimple ado or margin, nor a ta av skarnak and lay ex shilla harem, usclean durus and shomra lapan uifain, is ta gaurig chaktistak shomra kogum, on no made shah, is ta gahuler and ta komor le plati, ni ha akle ruhar karche, ni ha akle skihan vwilen guihe. There is something Edgar Allan Poesque in the quality of this final stanza. There is a horror to the slow and maddening waiting as the sun comes up. Those who are unfortunately familiar with insomnia will recognize the quiet dread of watching the light of dawn creep into a room. Although the use of the word sulfurous here paints it as something altogether more hellish. The tension that has been building since stanza one creeps on only to be shattered, or rather brought to a head, by the sudden appearance of the hound that was hinted at at the beginning of the poem. Any kind of logic that might have existed in the poem has now collapsed, and we are left feeling that it must surely be a dream that the speaker is experiencing. Dreams have always played a central role in Nigonal's work. Indeed, they've played a central role in Irish storytelling in general. There is a whole folkloric genre of Irish poetry known as the Ashling, which usually takes place entirely in dream. Here it seems like a dream of anxiety and dread. The hound has come back to devour our speaker and is now upon her. It's important to note that there is no distinction made that this is a dream in the poem itself. It is really happening to the speaker within the concept of the poem. The speaker has no control. With even the door swinging open of its own accord, it would seem that even the room is against her. They are completely at the mercy of the seemingly ravenous dog. Those final three lines invoke the imagery of Little Red Riding Hood, at least to me. His two eyes the size of plates, no bigger of cartwheels, no bigger of whirling windmills. They are similar in tone to the famous refrain my, what big eyes you have. The tale itself is now synonymous with hunger and insatiable appetite, which the hound here is the very embodiment of. The focus on his eyes here, once again invoking the feeling of being watched, perceived constantly. The closer it gets, the more they accurately perceive the size of its desire. This creates a wonderful quality of the beast inching closer in the constant re-establishing of the size of its eyes. It is a truly harrowing image to end on as we get the sense that our speaker is doomed. This seems always to have been the case even from the start. There is no real resolution or refuge for them. So what has our speaker done to deserve such a fate? The simple answer is nothing. It would be a fair assumption to guess that our speaker is female based on Nigonal's penchant for creating her persona as such. Another thing that you might have noticed while reading or listening to the poem is that our speaker never has an external reaction to these horrible events. There are no words of protestation or screams of terror. Fear is always internal and usually in the form of thought. The mute woman is a frequent symbol in Nigonal's work. It has come to embody many things including the loss of the Irish language, 
the suppression of female agency, powerlessness felt by women in male-driven societies. To quote Carrie Shaw again, her work often suggests the difficulty for young women of moving into adulthood when they are threatened by the gaze from outside themselves, when they are not heard except through their silence, when they are consigned to being passive objects. We can see that in Skevla, each of these themes is firmly present. The gaze in this poem is a constant threat, and if we were to apply symbolism to the different types of gaze in each of the three stanzas, they might look something like this. In the first stanza, the gaze of the banshee is the judgment of older women as younger women attempt to change and form their own identity. In the second stanza, the gaze of the village symbolizes the restrictive patriarchal system that seeks to keep women in certain roles. Finally, in that last stanza, the gaze of the hound is one of sexual desire, acting as a stand-in for the unwelcome male gaze, a tension that women often have little choice but to endure in our society. The hunger and threat that it represents in the real world is portrayed perfectly by the poetic encounter. Indeed, the poem in general seems a lament for the plight of any woman attempting to find their way in the world. Much like the speaker of the poem, it can often feel as though they are doomed from the start. So why this poem? No one evokes the other world, especially the Irish other world, quite like Nuala Gonal. The settings of her poems are filled with allegory and peril all of which she weaves together with a vibrancy and life we rarely expect from the Irish language, but one that has always been there. Her work with the language and stoic commitment to writing solely in Irish has bolstered both it and the rich culture it springs from, marking it out as something that has a place in modernity. Her work and the way she speaks about it seems almost a duty at times. In the poet's own words, Lots of women's poetry has so much to reclaim. There's so much psychic land, a whole continent, a whole Atlantis under the water to reclaim. There is a gravity in those words and perhaps why myth is the best vehicle for Nigonal's own works of reclamation. What did you think of the poem? I'd love to hear your opinion or any recommendations you might have for future episodes. You can get in touch with me in a few ways. Send me an email at wordsthatburnpodcast at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at wordsthatburnpodcast. Would you like to hear more Irish language poetry on this podcast? If you haven't had enough of it in this episode, you can check out my take on the wonderful poem Cunrucht by Alvin E. Garvin. It's linked below in the description. If you have the time and feel like doing me a massive favour, you could send this episode to someone you think might enjoy it. Better yet, leave this podcast a review wherever you listen. Each and every one helps. Thank you so much for listening and giving me your time. And hopefully you'll hear from me again soon. <laughs>